0: thank you worship team it's good to see everybody here today we're glad that you've come to to worship the lord in this place and to study his word together if you've got your bibles turn to ephesians chapter 4 if you would you know those songs are are a great reminder um, of god's faithfulness today last week uh, easter sunday that was last week right we were thinking and talking about the glory of of Christ, the glory of God that is really our inheritance that is to come, the glorification which is the end of our salvation but you know the fact is we find ourselves on this side of that we live in an imperfect world and uh, we face all kinds of struggles and difficulties and God is good, he is gracious and he is faithful to us and to uh, all of his people and uh, he's given us the church to hold one another up and to walk through this life together. And we're thinking about the church today from Ephesians chapter 4. You know, this is a season of examining where we are as a church. Imagining by faith what God might have for us uh, in the future. What kind of future God wants to bring us into. You know, we don't know what the future holds. But you can be sure that God does. God does. And he, he is not done with his church. He wants to position his church for influence and for a life change and for strength. It's, I think, a season where God would invite us to discern and to dream how the Lord might be pleased to work in us, to be a part of his kingdom building and church building, to see lives changed, to see our culture and community changed for the kingdom of Christ and for the glory of Christ. You know, this week I want us to open up Ephesians chapter 4 together and, and, and ask the Lord, To shape our thinking about the church, about the Christian life specifically, and our role in his kingdom. Um, Tonight, 5 o'clock, we have an architect that the church hired to uh, do a conceptual plan of how to uh, fix up our facilities a little bit, maybe modernize them just a touch. Uh, to bring all of the pieces together. You know, as we find ourselves needing to do repairs and different things, in the time almost three years that I've been here, one of the challenges has been, well, if we do this, then we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we're not really sure how it all needs to look as a cohesive um, finished product for the building. And so one of the things we said is somebody's got to come up with a concept. And so we hired this architect, Rick Sowell, to do that. And he's going to come and present those uh, conceptual plans tonight. This is open to anybody at 5 o'clock. And then at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a a members meeting, a membership meeting, a business meeting to deal with a couple of related issues. But, uh, you know, what Rick is doing is providing us a concept. That's it. He's going to show pictures. But we can't have Sunday school in those pictures. You know, they're, they're pictures. They're concepts. What we realize... Is to make that a reality, what has to happen? Well, the church has to, number one, commit to pursuing that concept. But not just to commit, but then what? To construct. So there's concept, or conception, an idea. Then there has to be commitment that follows it up. And then there has to be construction, which is the tedious and the nail-pounding and, 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 and the sweating and the spending and all of those things. That's what will bring it into reality, Ephesians chapter 4, this week, next week, I want to do the same thing. I don't want to present a building, I want to present to you what I think is one of the key passages about the church. It's a concept, if you will, of the church. Now I'm going to phrase it and put it in maybe a little bit different uh, uh, pictures and terms than we strictly find in this passage, but I'm going to present a concept, and it's not a new concept. It's one that many people have seen. This concept really is what I told this church when I came here was my philosophy of biblical ministry. And so what I'm asking you to do is to think with me biblically. What is a church? What are we supposed to be doing? How should we be ordered? What's supposed to happen? Who's supposed to do the things? What are the things that we're supposed to do? And so this is a concept. But the question, folks, is the same as with the building. And here it is. Will you commit to it? Will I commit to that? Because otherwise, what is it? It's just, a, it's just a picture. It's just an image. Will we commit to it? And then once we've committed to it by faith and by our understanding, will we construct it? And that's where it gets hard. So that's what we're doing In these days, in the book of Ephesians, Paul portrays the church, I would say, with three scenes, if you will, or three pictures. In chapter 2, he talks about the church of Jesus Christ being like a building that goes up. He says there's a chief cornerstone at the very outset there is Jesus Christ, the work and the person of Jesus, and then there's a foundation that's built by the apostles and the prophets, some of those early leaders in the church, and then generation after generation, person by person, the Lord is putting bricks and stones together, and he's building a building that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's one image of the church, Ephesians chapter 2. We come to Ephesians 4, and you'll be very familiar with uh, this image which we won't actually get to it this week but we will next and what is it it's the church as a body the head is jesus and the church is his body connected to him led along by him guided by him and each and every member or part plays a role in this one body and then this one's maybe a little bit uh uh, not so prominent But in Ephesians chapter 6, we know it as the teaching about putting on the armor of God. I would say to you that the picture is the church as an army. Standing on a spiritual battlefield together. Each one needing to put on this armor of God to fight, not flesh and blood. But to fight the spiritual battles together. So three pictures, if you will, of the church. Ephesians 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 today. And again, the the image that I'm going to tell you is one I think I've actually already shown to you, one you will appreciate, one you will know quite well, though it's not in this passage, and that is the church as a sports team. In fact, I had John read a scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning that talked about running the race. And even Paul himself in multiple places will speak about the Christian life and about church as being on a Sports So church as a team sport. But first, let's read Ephesians 4, 1 through 10, and we'll walk through that together. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope, Of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And we'll pick up there next week and look at the uh, verses that come after. But the first thing I want you to see is the image of Christianity and the church as a sports team or a team sport. And I take this, first of all, from verses 1 through 3, though it doesn't talk about sports. Pastor Jim Putman, I think it was 2008, uh, he wrote a book called Church is a Team Sport. Church is a Team Sport. Putman was a successful wrestler. Now, not the Hulk Hogan kind. Uh, not that kind. Like a college wrestler. Like an Olympic wrestler. And then he became a coach. And he said, you know, I realized that when I became a coach, it, w- it was a totally different ball game. I took the things that I would experienced and done and learned, but I was to pass them on to the players, to the other wrestlers. And he took that and and then he ends up leaving coaching and he becomes a church planter and a pastor. And basically his church, which I think it's in Oregon, anyway, huge church that is one of the examples that people put out there as a great discipling church. A church that is making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And it's built on the simple model of ministry and the philosophy that the pastors and the church staff aren't the main players down on the court doing their thing for everyone to cheer. Instead that pastors and church staff, evangelists and, and prophets and all those that will be listed in Ephesians chapter 4 are actually trainers and coaches for those who are out on the field playing the game. All right. So, so that's his philosophy of ministry and I would say it has worked quite swimmingly. That church has grown in making disciples. And I think it's biblical. I think that's a biblical idea. And so, how is Christianity or a church like a team sport? Number one, there's coaching. There's coaching. This passage begins by the Apostle Paul, and he says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk a certain way. Now, back in chapter three, he has identified himself also and again as a prisoner of the Lord. I wonder why he says that. Why would you use a prisoner as like a role model for the church? Because he's in prison. (laughs) It's not just a a grand uh, uh, metaphor. He's in jail in Rome as he writes this letter. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and I'm here not because I've done something wrong or evil, but because I have faithfully served the Lord and evangelized, and people have not liked the message. People have stood against me, and now he finds himself in prison. But he's not ashamed of his chains, though he doesn't glamorize them. He says, I'm a prisoner, but now he doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome. You know what he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a prisoner in the Lord. And first of all, let me help you see this. That that is the Christian life having given everything to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so before he ever gives a bunch of teaching about what they're to do, he wants them to see, I have given everything for the cause of Christ, even my freedom, and he'll one day lay down his life for Jesus. Paul is not ashamed of his chains. The Ephesian church has helped fund this missionary journey that right now you know when they think about Paul being in jail you know what it looks like we've wasted our money mission has been aborted it is a failure that's what it looks like Paul says I'm not ashamed of that the goal is not success in worldly terms you know what the goal is it's faithfulness to the call of Jesus Christ Paul says that's what I'm doing and that is what has landed me here it made me think about the fact that Sometimes as Christians and churches, and I think even the Ephesian church is struggling with this, It's we're not really sure what success as a church or as a mission or as a Christian looks like. We're not real sure. What is success? How would you define success as a church? How do we know if we're successful? Does it look like we all get put in jail? Maybe. Maybe. That's what Paul says here. Honestly... I think the church today, we are suffering from a wrong idea about the Christian life and about Christian ministry and about success and faithfulness. I think about what's been in the news this past week, this fall of Hillsong Church and a a leader, Brian Houston. You know, and and I think that many churches, what they uh, have built is the pastor as CEO and celebrity and superstar. And their job is to get on stage and wow people and bring lots of people in and to build some kind of brand that's bringing in lots of money and fame. By that measure, Hillsong is wildly successful. Maybe by another measure of simple faithfulness and walking worthy to the calling we have received in Christ Jesus. Maybe not. Now, it's difficult for me to say. You know, lots of people can... can um, have moments where they get off track and all that kind of thing. And so I want to withhold judgment. But what I have read about the fall of this CEO-type leader has been that basically his personal life and actions do not square with what he's teaching on stage. There's just a total disconnect. But you know what? Had he not been caught in some of his indiscretions, it is very possible to just go on and say, look, that guy is a successful Christian leader and so this just makes me think about what is what are we doing what does a victory look like and I'll tell you what we need in the church we need coaching and mentors and models that are true and real Christians I need that and I tell you I couldn't get past I Paul a prisoner of the Lord this week to think about is that the model that I'm following a guy who's willing to give it all every single last thing for Jesus Christ and his service? Or am I following the model over here that says, be a success according to the world, and so on and so on. So I think what we should see in the Apostle Paul, before we hear his teaching, is to be taught from his life. that He was willing to give of himself. We need coaches like that. We need real Christian mentors and role models. The next thing I think that's obvious in this passage is, Commitment. Commitment. The Apostle Paul committed everything to the cause of Christ. And uh, that's one way that I think Christianity is like sports. It's a call for commitment. I'm continually amazed when I hear about the sacrifices that athletes are willing to make to achieve their goal and their prize. And I'm in awe. I'm just thinking, man, I can't believe they're willing to do that. And it can be inspiring at times. But even more so, we should be inspired by men like this who are willing to give everything for eternity. To give everything to make sure that people come to know Jesus Christ. Commitment. Commitment. Churches today, we're running real shy on calling for commitment. And I think about the teaching of Jesus. He says, you know, if you're not willing to leave and forsake everything, you cannot be my disciple. That's, hey folks, that's not my saying. That's Jesus'. Count the cost. This is what it takes to follow in my footsteps. Commitment. It only makes sense to me, and again, if I'm just being honest, that Christians should be the most committed people in all the world to the cause of Christ. If athletes can give all of that self-sacrifice in order their entire lives to inherit or to gain a perishable wreath, as that passage says, how much more should Christians, especially those who are well-versed in commitment, shouldn't we be willing to undergo the self-discipline and the sacrifice and to commit ourselves for something that brings eternal glory? Yes, we should. The next thing we see is calling. There is a calling received. Easy to pass by this, just like we blow over the idea of Paul being a prisoner. But he says, walk worthy of a calling that you have received. And as I'm thinking about sports teams and Christianity, I'm thinking about the fact that we are so amazingly blessed to be called into the eternal kingdom to receive our salvation. Hey, folks, you can't earn your salvation. It is nothing you did, it's nothing good in you, it is all of Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God's grace is what it is. And we sometimes forget that, that he has called us by his grace to receive this glorious kingdom. We've been invited in to the winning team. And I thought about NBA drafts and NFL drafts when I've watched those things. And here are these athletes, man, they've been successful in in college, but they don't know if they're gonna be able to go on to the higher, you know, the big leagues. And and they're sitting by the phone, and there they are, they're waiting. Oh, someone, please pick me. Please pick me. And, And they get the call, and they're so thrilled when they get called to any team, especially the one that they were after, and they are so excited and elated. And I thought thought about how we should probably embrace that idea that we have been called into the kingdom of Christ. We lose our joy in that sometimes. We forget that it is an amazing act of God's kindness and grace. And it is an honor. It is an honor to be associated with Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so he says, man, You've got to be committed. And he says, you have received this calling, now walk worthy of it. Walk worthy. In this, I just jotted down culture. There is a culture with the team of Jesus. There is a Christian culture that comes along, and it simply looks like Jesus. He says, you know, you know when you make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's what it looks like. He says, walk worthy. The, the team that we're on is not a, a back alley, anything goes, street ball team where you just make up the rules and there's no referees. No, we've been given a specific set of lifestyles, priorities, and commitments as followers of Jesus Christ. And again, I think it's really easy to say, man, we're saved by grace. It's not of our works. And then somehow we just act like it doesn't matter what we do in this life. That is wrong. To be a follower of Jesus is to be like Jesus. It's to follow Jesus It's to hear his commands and to do them. But we don't talk about these things today. And so there's an appropriate culture. And when you're on a team, you're expected to wear the uniform. You're expected to show up to the practices. You're expected to embody the culture of that team. To go along with what they're doing. And the same thing here, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And the big one, verse 3. I'll just go ahead and point this out is love. You know what the culture, the atmosphere of the Christian church must be? And we have to continually work on this and hear this. Hey, folks, especially me, it's love. Love is the key. And it's interesting that Paul says this in this letter to the Ephesians. He says, Man, you got to walk in humility and kindness and gentleness. You got to bear with one another and you got to do it in love. One of the next times we hear about the Ephesian church is in Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus gives some warnings to some churches in the Ephesian church. He says, man, you do good works, you've got right doctrine, you've got so many things, you've got people that work hard, but you have lost one thing, you have left the love that you had at first. And if you go on to read that, you know what he says? Repent and get back to that, because without that, and we have to continually hear this, without love, this boat can't float. Without love, we're just making a bunch of noise and annoying each other. Without love, the culture of the church has got to be love. Without love, the church is doomed. It's doomed, all right? So those are some things that I think maybe we can see how sports teams fit with this call to biblical New Testament Christianity. Let me say this to you also. Point number two. All Christians are on the same team. All Christians are on the same team. Verses 2 through 6, he goes through great pains. He says, listen, you're not doing this Christian thing alone, and so you've got, you've got, you've got to love one another and put on these character traits if the team is going to function, and you're all on the same team. Christianity is not just a sport. It's a team sport. We're in this thing together, and we have to work together, and so we have to be diligent We have to practice together because my impulse is to take me out here and doing things on my own. And your impulse is to grab the ball and go and slam dunk it and get all of the applause and all of that, you know. And we got to work together as a team, a well-oiled machine. And the only way that happens is we get together and we figure out, hey, your strength is here. Your strength is there. How can we make this thing work? But we also have to put on some things. Humility. Thinking less of ourselves and thinking more of others. We have to overlook some things. When things grate on our nerves, we have to be gentle, this says, and patient, bearing with one another in love. I read a, a little story about a guy, he's actually a pastor. He said they were in their small group, this group that he met together with all the time. And, you know, they were just sharing prayer requests, and then it comes time to pray. So different ones pray, and he says, we did all of that. And uh, one of the guys in this group starts praying. And he says, dear Lord, I pray for Kevin and about his need here, about this and that. And and he says, we're praying, and I'm going, who is Kevin? I don't know a Kevin. Where did that come from? Dear Lord, and I pray for Kevin. And he says, he starts praying for things that I had asked people to pray for, and my name's not Kevin. And he said, it really got under my skin. Here is a guy in my group who I've just been bearing my soul to. I thought we were friends, and my name's not Kevin, and he's calling me Kevin. And he said, it really annoyed me. (laughs) It got under... Y'all aren't laughing. Y'all may be that person because you don't know anybody's name. Hey, I've done this. Uh, Dear Lord, help my brother's uh, uh, need over here. You know, I don't really know him and whatever. And you don't have to know everybody's name. You don't have to remember the name. But the point of the story was this. People bother us sometimes they say things that are insensitive they hurt our feelings someone that we think is a great friend actually they don't even know our name they just kind of know a little bit about us and he says you got to bear patiently and do it out of love all christians are on the same team we're teammates we're in this thing together hey but guess what real quick it's not just fbcbs members who are on the same team It's not us versus the Baptist church down the road, by the way. We're on the same team. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one mission. We're in this thing together. And and, uh, sometimes we pit ourselves against the church down the road. It's not only that. It's not just Baptist versus the assembly of God and the Methodists. (laughs) You know, all Christians are on the same team. Now, that's not to say that we can't have legitimate Discussions and disagreements about doctrinal things. Doctrine is important. But we need to be aware of demonizing others. Or seeing them as the enemy. We're in this thing together. And I think that this speaks to our mission mindedness. Paul loved the Ephesian church. The Colossian church. The Galatian church. All of these churches. He wrote these wonderful letters to churches. He had never even been to. He had just heard about them. And he wanted to encourage them. He had a missions heart. You know, we're in this thing together with other people. We're in this thing together with Christians from Africa, from Asia, from all over the place. Do we have that kind of mindset or is it all about us right here inside of our walls? I think this passage calls us to see each other as team members, but not just those you can see any given Sunday, but the church abroad. We are on mission together. The last thing we need to see in this passage is this. Christian life and church Is like a sports team. Christians are on the same team. Last thing, every Christian has a position to play. Every Christian has a position to play. Verses 7 through 10. He said when Jesus ascended, you know, he came down here. He took captives captive and all of this kind of stuff. But he says, listen to this. When he ascended, he gave gifts. Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send the counselor, the spirit, and we are gifted uniquely by the grace of God through the gifts of the Spirit. We all, it's as every Christian is gifted, is given gifts of grace and you know what those are for? They're not for putting them in your pocket and storing them away for a rainy day and to get them out and look and say, oh, I'm so wonderfully gifted and to put them back in. They're for exercising and using for the building up of the body. Every Christian has a position to play. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I think we do, you know, I'm, I'm for the big gathering and the teaching. I think God gives teachers to the church, and we're supposed to get together, we're supposed to hear teaching, we're supposed to worship together, but sometimes we just kind of make Christianity about the Sunday morning sit in our pew deal or do our one little thing. Maybe we don't go beyond that to say, smaller groups or 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 maybe we just we're, we're quite happy to do our christian thing as long as we don't have to speak or do anything and and i know people that go to four and five groups and, and different gatherings and never say a word and never do a thing with it they just listen now listening is good teaching is good learning is good but i think a lot of what we do breeds passivity in the church And I challenge you to read the New Testament and see if the New Testament Christians and followers of Jesus were were passive, if they were just sitting on a pew. No, they weren't. They weren't. So we've kind of bred this passivity into the church, and I think we've got to get out of that. Every Christian has a role to play. You have a part. You have a responsibility. You have a gift. And it's a wonderful thing. And one of the reasons we get stagnant in our Christian life is because we put it in our pocket. And we don't experience the joy that the Lord wants us to experience from giving ourselves to others and in service of others, just like Jesus. And I'll be honest, I'm not really sure how you do that. You know, when it has rocked along for so long, church is about coming and occupying a piece of real estate and no more it is very difficult to change but we have to change we have if we get hold of a new testament vision of the church and change can't just be me standing up here and saying this and y'all uh, walking out and say man good sermon that stepped on my toes See you again next week. It's got to be more than that. And it's got to be more than that for me as a pastor. So one of the things I've been praying about and talking with different leaders and others in the churches, and I'll be saying more about the specifics. Keep in mind I'm trying to paint a big conceptual picture here. One of the things that I think we have to do is to call people up out of the pew. There are multiple things that we have to do. But I can't make you get up out of the pew. I can't make you commit and to sacrifice that's between you and the lord all i can do is try to teach the right things and make attempts to help our church maybe shuffle a few things move a few things start a few things change a few things to better facilitate making these things happen so that's one of the things that i'm going to be presenting to the church let me give you a little sneak preview here's a couple of things well let me let me wait for just a minute I was thinking about the movie The Gladiator. Any of you guys ever seen that? Any of you ladies ever walked by and saw your husband watching that and go, it's my wife, what my wife says to me every time. How many times have you seen that movie? I'm like, just once today. I love the movie The Gladiator. And I think the danger in maybe saying a, a, a church is like a team sport or Christianity is a team sport, maybe, you know, we... We envision badminton or something like that, something soft. And, you know, I think, I, I don't know how hard badminton is. I don't think it's a full contact sport. Probably not a lot of danger in it. Probably Christianity as a team sport is more like the movie The Gladiator. It's a sport, all right, and it's a dangerous one. I was thinking about how General Maximus has gone out and he's, he's, he's led the armies of Rome to great um, uh, victories and he's come back. And Marcus Aurelius has told him, see, I've watched it a lot. I don't even have to look at my notes. He's told him, he said, you need to be king, not my son Commodus. And Commodus wants the throne. And so he sets about to destroy Maximus. Mm -hmm. Through various turns of events, Maximus finds himself as a slave and put into the gladiator pit. And he decides that he will fight so that he can win his freedom, so that he can go to Rome and conquer Commodus. All right, Watch the movie. But here's the, here's the awesome part, man. He's this great warrior. And he has led these massive armies. Dude knows how to win. You know what I'm saying. And, and he goes out and hears all these other gladiators. And they're about to be put in the Colosseum uh, or in the uh, amphitheater pit. And then he says, you know, we don't know what we're going to find here. There's going to be lions and there's going to be all kinds of things. And what's been happening is all the different slaves who are gladiators, they're just trying to survive by themselves. They're just trying to do their thing and they're just falling. They're falling like dominoes. And he says, when we go out together, you know what we got to do? We got to fight as one. We've got to fight as one. And so they, they go into the, the uh, arena floor, and he calls them together. I love this. This is so awesome. you know. And, and he says, uh, well, what does he say? Together or as one. And he calls them together, and they all come together, and they put their shields together. And the first wave of danger passes. Anyway, I'll get caught up in the movie. I'm not sure why I'm telling you this. Oh, yeah, gladiators fighting deadly battles together. I think that's what Ephesians 4 shows us as Christianity, as a team sport. Not bad knitting. Not miniature golf. Gladiator sports. Or we're talking about folks' life and death. We're talking about having spiritual enemies like roaring lions. And we're talking about the fact that we need one another so that we can stand in that evil day we need the armor of god and we must fight as an army but you know what we've got to be committed to one another and love as a church that's what a church is and when we get spread out and some are not committed that begins to spread through a church and the next thing you know you've got a bunch of independent warriors trying to do it on their own and it is not what jesus envisions Practical applications, big things. What are we going to try to do to refocus and recalibrate to this kind of concept and vision? I think, number one, we need to think about our staffing. And so one of the things that with the personnel committee and with different groups, we've got to staff this church lean and mean. But we have to shift our thinking from the staff as the hired guns down on the, minute, on the arena floor the ones who we pay to give their lives and the rest of us stand up here and clap say, yeah, do it, do it. That's not this model. That's not the New Testament model. Are the ministers supposed to be on the arena floor giving themselves to ministry and sacrificing? Yes, yes. But if Christianity is truly a team sport and everybody has a role to play, we need to start calling people down out of the stands and calling them to get into the game. And I think that means that our staff must embrace an equipping type model, pastoral staff specifically. And that means that we're investing in other people and help. And then as a church, hey, listen, many of you, there are those of you who would be very skilled in this kind of thing. I'm I'm terrible at this, but we have to help people in the pew figure out what is their spiritual gift and position and role and help equip them and get them into that role and support them and encourage them and lift them up. I'm not sh- really sure how we do that exactly, but we have to make some inroads into that. So shifting, shifting to a, a staff as, as equippers, all right? Coaches and trainers, training every member to get in the game and encouraging every member to get in the game to build up the body. Our body as the church will not function properly without this. And so we have to give attention to gift discovery and mobilizing our members for ministry. And I'll I'll be more specific about some of these things in various business meetings and whatnot. I know my time is, is up. But here's another thing, the last thing. We've got to do some things to help facilitate greater interpersonal relationships and getting people into Christian groups. Now, we have, many of you are involved in different Bible studies that meet off campus, and that's a great thing. That's, we want those kind of things. We want to encourage that. We have small group Bible studies here called Sunday School. All right, we have different small groups that do different kinds of ministries together. We've got teams, we've got committees, got all those things. But I think that what we need to do is start more groups at alternative times We've got to put leaders in those groups that can help facilitate spiritual nurture and shepherding. Yes, teaching, but also, hey, hey, listen to this. Our groups need to get on mission. It's not all just about studying the book. It's studying the book and saying, what is this book? What is Jesus calling me to do with this? And getting people out on mission. You know, not everybody, I don't know how we would do it if everybody here that had a teaching gift, if we just took turns letting different people preach or teach on Sunday mornings, you know, it would be probably a bit of a madhouse. Not everybody's called to that. But I'll tell you what, we've got tons of gifted teachers in this congregation. How are we using their gifts? How are we mobilizing them? But that's just one gift. That's the one we focus on. But there's a bunch of others. And I would say to you that, it's very possible that many people that are sitting dormant in the church have a gift, they know their gift, they've just not been given an opportunity to use it. And I think that in our small groups, in smaller cell type groups, that is a place. And I'll tell you, that is where some of the most profound life change happens, is in smaller groups. Again, I think that's something we need to move towards. Would y'all do this? Would y'all pray with me? about this vision, about this paradigm, if you will, of church and of Christianity. And ask the Lord, let's ask the Lord to to start changing and molding our thinking and our doing into line with his word. I think it's time for some shifts so that we get to a biblical model of New Testament Christianity. And you know what? It is not easy. It's not easy. Blood, sweat, tears, toil, and heartbreak. There are all kinds of things that are difficult about it. But I know this. I know that you folks know about sports. You folks know about commitment, hard work, self-discipline. You know about great coaches who inspire generation after generation. You've seen that work in the sports world. Folks, It needs to happen in the church. It needs to happen in the church. Not because sports are cool and we want to be like all the athletes. Because it's biblical. It's biblical. That, my friends, is New Testament Christianity. It's a vision for the church that we need to embrace together. I'm going to pray for us and then John's going to come and lead us in our celebration of anniversaries and birthdays. Father, help us. Help us to be Of people who walk worthy, to not fall prey and trap to the world's way of doing things, to not get so brainwashed and, and conformed to the pattern of this world that we think success in the church is automatically equivalent to what we see as successful in business or in other nonprofits or whatever it may be. Lord, help us to look to your word and to your model to your coaches that you have given us as examples of those who gave everything. And Lord, I pray that you would shift our thinking. Begin that today. Help us to rise up with a new commitment today, believing that you are not done with us. You've not put us on a shelf, but instead that you have a glorious future of ministry for First Baptist Church, Valley Springs, and all the members therein. Lord, that you have a global movement in church that you are doing things all over the place and you invite us into this exciting realm of missions and ministry. But God, it takes courage to change and sometimes we just get in the ruts and we get in cruise control mode. Would you help us who you've charged to lead and to share vision and your word to be consistent? Help us, Lord, help me To not live a life that has a disjointed nature to it. Where I say one thing and do quite the other. Lord, help us to give everything. And help us as a church to love big. To be a church that just exudes the grace and the kindness and the love of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John, come and lead us.
1: Before we uh, celebrate our birthdays and anniversaries, uh, just a, f- a few announcements. We're in a season of giving for Annie Armstrong, which is North American Missions, and that is, um, this will be the last Sunday for that. We're about 70% towards our, our goal for that, and so um, uh, I'm a product of the North American Mission Board, and uh, one year I served the home mission board, and the next year they changed the name to North American Mission Board, and so those who are familiar with that, uh, I'm standing here today because of. Uh, because of your faithful giving uh, to Annie Armstrong offering. Uh, We do have a a new members class coming up on May 1st, and that'll be next Sunday. So if you're interested in joining the church, to be a member of the church, or if you want to know more about our church, uh, what we believe, who we are, it lasts about an hour. The sign-up sheets are on the table uh, out there in the foyer then on uh, the wall, and uh, we do a a light lunch, and so uh, you can come, check us out, see who we are. And ask questions and stuff with that. It lasts about an hour, a little bit more. And so we have a few people already signed up. Uh, we just ask that you sign up so we have enough food and then also enough uh, materials. So invite you to that. Uh, we do have a uh, camp meeting coming up for youth. It's a mandatory camp meeting for parents and students, and that'll be May 4th. That'll be a week from this coming Wednesday. Then our high school only event's coming up on the 15th. And then our host, uh, our church will be hosting the baccalaureate service. Uh, for school, for Valley Springs, uh, two weeks from today, also celebrating Mother's Day on that day. So uh, looking forward to to those things. Uh, Brother Sean already mentioned about tonight's business meeting and uh, the architect coming, uh, five o'clock business meeting to follow at six. And so uh, everybody's invited to come. uh, With that, Uh, we will be talking about chairs uh, tonight. And so if you have not uh, looked at the chairs, uh, they are over here. If you want to give it a test drive, look at. uh, If you have any questions, I'll, I'll be up at the front. If you have any questions about uh, those chairs, I'll, I can answer those uh, for you. So, um, anyway, we celebrate birthdays and anniversaries the end of the month. Uh, if you would like to give money for your birthday and anniversary, that money goes to the Arkansas Baptist Children's Home, uh, and each year we we give anywhere from three to four or five thousand dollars a year uh, from that. Uh,